So if I was to ask you in your life, when you have felt closest to God, when you felt the most profound encounter with His presence, I wonder today what you would say to me. Would you tell me about those best moments of your life, those moments where everything was going great, where life seemed so amazing, where all the stars aligned, where everything was perfect for you? Or I wonder whether you would tell me about the hard times. You would tell me about the times where you actually realized that you had come to an end in yourself. The times where you were so desperately in need of God. The times where you were literally in a situation of life and death that if God didn't step in, things would disrupt and fail for you. I wonder if it would be in the hardest moments that you have actually felt the closest to Him. As I was reflecting on that question for myself this week, I was surprised by my answer. As I look back over this uh, first 10 years of my uh, time on staff here at The Vine, I know that the times that God has been closest to me, the times where He's manifested His presence most to me, have been in the hardest moments of ministry and the times where my skills and my talents and my gifts were not adequate for that moment that I was facing in ministry. I remember the time where where God's presence came upon me in the power of His peace when I walked into a room to a crying mother who was holding her son who had just passed away in her arms. I remember feeling this incredible gift of words of wisdom when I was sitting with a family who were dealing with the travesty of the reality that their daughter had just passed away. I remember this moment where, where I was actually woken up at three in the morning by a phone call from one of our congregation members and, and they had just discovered that their spouse had cheated on them and I, I felt in the, at the time that I had nothing to offer and then a gift of the word of hope came upon me and I was able to share a scripture I hadn't thought of for years with her that really brought to life something in her spirit. I remember the strength, the supernatural strength that came upon me when I sat next to my father at his deathbed in the hospital when cancer was taking his life from him. I remember that moment of God's intimacy with me when I stepped up that mountain in Santa Fe, when I was at at such war with myself and with him and I walked into this moment of fog on the mountain and I heard God speak to me again. Yeah, it's in the hardest times of my life in the times where I felt least adequate, least with the amount of ability, where where I desperately needed God to speak, where I've actually encountered His presence the closest. God has been most real when I have been most barren. And we're stepping now into our second week of Advent, and uh, we're continuing our series on the ministry of John the Baptist. And we move today from the call of repentance from last week to the place of repentance this week, the desert. And when we think about John's ministry, it might surprise us that after 400 years of silence, that God would decide to speak again in a place like the wilderness, in a place like the desert. It seems surprising and strange to us that that's where God's word would come from, the Judean wilderness, a place of hostility, of of dark expansion, a place with really nothingness of hills and valleys, of rocks and sand, that that would be the place that God would choose to manifest His presence again with His people. Last week, we looked at the story of John the Baptist from the Gospel of Luke. Today, I want to open up actually that story from the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to show you particularly how Matthew introduces us to this 
place of repentance and that the, the role that the desert plays in our understanding of Advent as well as our preparation for Jesus. So this is from Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea, the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. Let me tell you that even out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. For the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Last week, I, I shared with us this moment where Luke opens up his account of John the Baptist. And Luke does this weird thing. He mentions seven political and religious leaders because he wanted to say something important about what Advent meant for the people. Well, Matthew, in a very similar way, does something similar here. He actually mentions the place of John's ministry three times. He repeats it three times. Right there at the start, he says, he comes preaching in the desert place. Just a little bit on. He says, he's a voice of one calling from the desert. Further on, he says that all the people would come out from where they were and come out to him, inferring that they were coming out to him in the desert. Matthew wants you to know that one of the core characters of Advent and of John's ministry is this character of the desert, of, of the wilderness. He wants us to understand why the wilderness was important, why Israel had to come out of the comfort of their cities, the comfort of where they lived, and had to move to a place of great barrenness in the Judean wilderness. A few years ago, I had the great privilege, actually, of traveling to the Holy Land. I spent a couple of weeks, actually, in Israel and in Palestine. I, I journeyed through all of the area of Galilee, and one place that I really wanted to go to and spend some time in was the Judean wilderness. I wanted to put myself in that place and experience a little bit of where it was that John the Baptist did his ministry. I wanted to put myself in the place where Jesus would be called by the Holy Spirit to go to, to be tempted by the enemy for 40 days and 40 nights, in the, the same way that Israel had been brought out of Egypt into a 40-year journey in their wilderness. I wanted to sit in the starkness and the barrenness of the Judean landscape to learn something of what it is that places such importance in the heart of God to such barrenness. And I thought one of the great things to do today as we move into this idea of the place of the wilderness is actually to take you to the Judean hills today. And so we filmed a, a little film whilst we were there to help all of us understand what Advent truly is and what the ministry of John the Baptist was actually like. So I wonder whether you would come with me now as I take you to the desert place of the Judean wilderness. The wilderness is the mark of the land of Israel and it continues to surround much of its major cities today. Barren, expansive, hostile, and stark, it has largely been uninhabited throughout their history. Consequently, 
This has meant that this land here is an ideal place for seeking refuge from their enemies or retreat from the world around them. From the call of Abraham, to the journey of Moses, to the release from Egypt, to the return from exile. The story of Israel has always been a story of God moving his people in and out of the wilderness. While the wilderness was never an easy place for the nation of Israel, it was a place where they could come to expect to meet God. See, it took people out of the ordinary of their lives and brought them into a place where everything got stripped away. A place where they were able to look at their lives afresh. The wilderness was God's way of getting his people's attention. Well, it was in this place that God began to form Israel's core identity. And it always was a process that began with a strong call to repentance. You see, the Old Testament had finished on a clear note that it was Israel's sin that had led them into exile and that their repentance of sin released them back into Jerusalem. Now, some 400 years later, God renews the prophetic call for Israel to move into the wilderness through the ministry of John the Baptist. And that would have communicated one clear thing to them, that God was about to redeem his people again. But it needed to begin once more with a call to repentance of sin. John knew that his water baptism came before a more significant baptism of fire and the Holy Spirit that Jesus would perform. This fire is Jesus' judgment on the world's sin. He's come to liberate the world from this sin once and for all, and that requires a sobering examination of our hearts. But John also knew something else. You see, God brought his people into the wilderness, not because he was angry with them, but because he actually wanted to go deeper in relationship with them. You see, far from being a place of punishment, the wilderness was actually a gift for God's people. It was a place where God could clear out all of the stuff that had accumulated in people's lives. You know, the, the fact is when we go through life, we, we pick up things all the time, things that begin to kind of weigh us down, the, the daily struggles of life. And God brings us into a wilderness season so that he can lay these things down in the barrenness of the place where he can open us up so that he can deal with these things. And God's heart is, is to basically burn them up in the wilderness place so that new life can begin. Luke links John the Baptist with the prophetic hope of Isaiah, where Isaiah declared that one would come to prepare the way for the Lord. So as Luke introduces us to John the Baptist, he does so with great fanfare. That you can almost sense the excitement that Luke has as he writes, this is the one who would prepare the ground for our coming Savior. John uses two metaphors to speak of Jesus. He speaks of him as a fork and as fire. 
Uh, and then he uses this picture of wheat and chaff. And he says that, that Jesus is going to be like a, a winnowing fork that separates wheat and chaff. And then he's going to be like a fire that burns up that chaff. And what John does, essentially, right at the beginning of the story of Jesus, is introduce us to one element of Jesus' life that we don't often talk about. The fact that he's not just a savior, he's also a judge. in the wilderness is a welcome sight. Its light breaks into the blanket of darkness around you. You know, in our current culture of constant access and non-stop media, a time in the wilderness can actually feel a little bit like a curse from God, but it's actually anything but. When we are invited into the wilderness by God, it's because He wants to bring us near to the burning presence of His Holy Spirit. And it's in that Holy Spirit that our pain and our hurt and our brokenness is burnt up and dealt with. In the wilderness, we come to see God gloriously, beautifully holy. And in the midst of that, get to see ourselves as humans fully alive. Us, humanity, fully alive. I don't know about you, but I don't know if that's how I feel in the wilderness experiences that I've had in my life. We all have them, don't we? These times of desert experience where it feels like uh, everything of comfort is removed from our lives. It feels like that presence of God is taken away from us. It feels like life is just hard work every single day. I think the reality is, is that 2020 has felt like that for us as a year. It feels like this whole year has been like a, a wilderness journey where it feels like we, we, all the things that we relied on before, the freedoms that we've had and the comforts we've had, the normality that we've had has been taken from us. I know for many of us, this is going to be a different Christmas than we've experienced in the past. Perhaps your loved ones are not able to travel to be with you here in Hong Kong this Christmas, or you're not able to travel to go with, be with them. 2020 has felt like a, a changing year where things are taken away from us that we would rather have, like we've been placed in this position of wilderness. Could it be, though, that just like Israel in the time of John the Baptist, so for us, God is actually calling us this year into a place of stark discomfort in order that we might discover something that we would never find in our place of security. Could it be that the wilderness is actually designed to give us the very thing that we would miss in the normality of life? See, there was a reason why God called Israel out of the comfort of their day-to-day -day into the wilderness again to hear from John at that time in the first century. I spoke about it a little bit in the film that you just watched, the reality that actually in the Old Testament, 
The wilderness was a picture of the reality of something that we often don't think about it in our lives. We, we think of the wilderness or the desert as this isolation experience, as an experience where we're actually separated or far away from God. But actually, Israel's history tells them that the wilderness was a place where they would go to meet with God that the wilderness became a turning and a changing point, both in their understanding of the presence of God as well as for the understanding of themselves. I mean, you just need to open up the pages of the Old Testament and begin to see the centrality that the wilderness, the desert plays in the formation and the growth and the change of Israel. There is Abram, who's comfortable in the father's household in a place called Ur, and God shows up and pulls him out of that and moves him into the desert of the Negev. And it's in that desert place that he looks up and he sees those stars and God gives him a vision. God says, I'm going to make through you a nation that'll be more numerous than the stars that you can see in this sky right now. And God comes and transforms the person of Abram and makes him into Abraham, who comes and makes him a father of the multitudes. It's in the desert place where actually Abraham gets a vision of what it is that God wants to do, that God's going to create a covenant with this group of people to make them a blessing to all nations. It's actually in the wilderness that Abraham begins to understand the purpose and the promises that he has for his life. Or have a think about Hagar. Hagar, who who was the maidservant of Sarah and the concubine of Abraham, the one who was under oppression from Sarah at the time and was forced herself to flee into the wilderness. And it was in the desert place that an angel of the Lord came to her in her most desperate moment when she thought her son was going to die, where she had given him up to die. The angel of the Lord comes and says, I'm a God who sees you. And, and shows her an oasis where she can get refreshment and provision and be able to bring her child back to life. Or, or think about Jacob. He wrestled with God in the desert place, in the wilderness. And it was there that God changed his name and said that you're going to be the biological father of Israel and your sons will be the 12 tribes that would start the journey of this nation. Think about Moses, who, who had fled out of the home as an Egyptian prince who had murdered an Egyptian and was now in the desert as a shepherd, running from all his pain, running from all his hurt. And it's in the desert place that God in his holiness and his power shows up with the burning bush and welcomes him into a new time where he's restored in his identity, where he comes to understand and meet God. And it's there at the burning bush that God declares himself as the I am for the first time. Yahweh defining his reality for the people of Israel. Or think about Israel themselves, taken out of slavery in Egypt, brought into the wilderness to Mount Sinai. And it's in that desert place where the pillar of fire comes. The law is opened up to them with the Ten Commandments on Sinai, where they get this intimacy with God that they'd never had before, and where God would speak to shape them into the nation He desired them to be. Think about David. David wrote the most profound psalms that we have. Almost all the psalms that he wrote, he wrote in exile in the desert place. Think about Israel themselves when they were taken into Babylonian exile through the desert and in a place of stark barrenness, had to wrestle with the reality that their sin had brought them there and that they were beginning to turn to a new understanding of God in the place of their wilderness. What you see throughout the Scriptures is God moving His people in and out of the desert place, and it's there that He manifests the power of who He is to them. You see, there's something critical we need to know about the wilderness. 
See, the wilderness has always been the place for God of our accelerated growth and transformation. God's always used the wilderness to accelerate growth and transformation in His people. And and you see throughout the story of the Old Testament, I think this transformation happening in three profound ways in the desert place. First of all, the desert was always about a place of intimacy. It was always where God would draw near to His people in their most desperate time. It's always where you see this intimacy, where, where almost like the distractions of our lives are stripped away from us. The desert place in its barrenness means that there's nowhere else for us to go other than into this profound picture of who God is. See, the desert place is the invitation to intimacy. We often think that actually the desert is a lonely place, but actually the desert is a place of intimacy and connection. The desert is a place of revelation where we can no longer hide God behind the distractions of our lives. In fact, what the desert does is it puts God in plain sight. He's right there, right there before us. And we get to see something of His majesty and His beauty that would be distracted and covered up by the normal busyness of life. It's about intimacy. But the desert was also about this second process, that of teaching. You see, God always brought his people in the desert, not just to draw near by his presence, but to give them a message. He had something on his heart he wanted to communicate to them. So so Hagar experiences profoundness of God's presence by the water of that oasis. And she understands that God is one who sees her, that God is one who provides for her. And it begins to shape a teaching for her around the power of God's provision. Moses with the mountain and with Sinai, God shows up and says, this is what I want you to do to worship me. You're going to worship me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you're going to worship and love your neighbor as yourself. And as you do these two things, there is a a commandment and a structure of the law to enable you to connect with me and to connect to one another. There's a teaching you need to know about what it is to walk in a place of holiness before each other. When Israel was in that wilderness place of exile, God spoke to them about their sin and challenged them that they needed to change. The desert has always been a place, not just of the intimacy of His presence, but also of the power of His Word to speak, to change, to challenge, and to make new. And the third thing is that the desert is a place of great healing. Because once you are intimate with the Lord, once He's met you in your own barrenness, once He's spoken His word and told you what it is that's on His heart for both you and for His purposes, then this place of healing comes where Hagar is able to stand up and go and collect her son and know that she is not the person that Sarah had told her she was where Moses would be able to be there before the holiness of the burning bush and be able to stand and say, even despite the fact that I'm not particularly articulate, I will go back to Pharaoh, the one I've actually run away from, and I'm going to ask him to let my people go. Where Israel in Mount Sinai would begin to understand that they are not to worship a a plethora of gods like the Egyptians had, but now they are to worship the one God. And as they worship the one sole God, they are formed in their identity as a nation, no longer slaves, but released to the promised land for freedom. You see, the desert is a place of intimacy, of teaching, and of healing. And it is a place that moves us on that journey. And all of that would have been in the minds and the hearts of Israel when they hear that some 400 years after God being silent, a prophet was speaking again in the wilderness. 
The wilderness would have communicated to the Jewish people of the first century the things that they had seen in the Old Testament. When they heard a prophet was now calling them into the wilderness, they would have stepped into the wilderness with this thought in their minds. They would have heard the idea that God is calling them into intimacy again. They would have heard the idea that God has got something to say to them, a message to bring to them. What they would have heard is that now would be the time for them to be renewed, for them to be healed again. This would have been on their hearts and their minds. They wouldn't have thought, oh, I'm being called into the wilderness to be told off, to be separated from God, to be in a barren place. No, they would have felt this this call of God to intimacy, to teaching, to healing, to restoration, to new. When they would have heard that there is an invitation to the wilderness, what would have been communicated to them above everything else was this, that God was about to act again to redeem his people. That's what they would have heard. That's not what we hear though, is it? I I mean, how do we feel when we're in a wilderness place? How do we come to think of the desert place for us? I, I think so often when we think of the wilderness, we think of it as a place of judgment and punishment. We think the wilderness is a a place that we go to when we've done wrong with God. The wilderness is a place that we go to to be told off by God, almost like it's the naughty corner of the Christian life. And, And because we come to think of the wilderness as an absence of God, rather than an intimacy with Him, which is how the Jewish people saw it, as we see it as this absence of God, we do everything we can to avoid the wilderness. Or or if we, we think we're about to head into the wilderness, we wonder what's wrong with ourselves. When actually, could it be that the wilderness is a place of our greatest freedom? Could it be that what we see in the ministry of John the Baptist and what we see in the season of Advent is actually an invitation for us to actually redefine our wilderness? Maybe here, as we journey to the end of 2020 and we head to the beginning of 2021, maybe God wants you to redefine your wilderness. That time that you thought was a sort of an abstraction from the presence of God might actually be the greatest welcome into intimacy and his word and your healing than you ever have experienced before. That's what John the Baptist thought. That's why he stood in that place of the wilderness and called Israel out to him again. And I want to show you actually through the scripture that we're looking at today, the way in which John the Baptist creates this idea of hope, even in a place as barren as the Judean landscape. Let me read verses 7 to 10 to you once again. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath produce fruit now in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, oh, we have Abraham as our father. I I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. See, the ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, there's some pretty strong words that John has here for the Sadducees and the Pharisees. I mean, he's speaking some things pretty directly to them. Brood of vipers, axe at the trees, cutting things down. Yeah, it it sounds pretty strong. But in the midst of that, I want you to see what pops here. Two things that John repeats. He mentions the idea of fruit twice. He mentions the second time that it's actually good fruit. 
In other words, what he's challenging Israel with is, yeah, they need to change. Yeah, there is this repentance that, as I talked about last week, is that 180 shifting and reorientating into a new direction. But John wants them to focus on the reality that is fruit. Hey, live in the fruit. Expect the fruit. Don't hold anything back that might try to take away the fruit. See, see the reality is the desert is actually the place of fruitfulness. The desert isn't this place where everything's supposed to go wrong. The desert isn't a place where you're supposed to go to because you have to wait 40 years for God to speak. No, now the desert becomes a place of great fruitfulness. I, I like to think of it like this. The, the desert is, is like the great potter's will of God. And through it, he actually creates us into new works of art beautiful new works of art, ways in which we can become more fully alive, more fully true in Him. And yes, the desert is a harsh place. Yes, there are words that God wants to bring us in that place where we bring our sin to Him, where we repent of the things that we need to repent of, but there's a movement through the desert. You see, one of the things that's important to know is that Israel never made their home forever in the desert. The desert was a journey for them. It was a movement of that intimacy teaching and that healing so that they would be restored to then be released back into what it is that God has for them. And you actually see that in the verses here. You see John actually bringing his people in this journey, in this movement. First of all, calling them out of the civilization of their sin, welcoming them into the desert place of repentance, the wilderness of that intimacy and teaching and healing that God wanted to bring his people so that they could then go into the waters, the river of life. And Justin's going to come next week and talk to us about the beauty of the refreshing waters of the washing of our sins through this picture of baptism. But I want you to see this week the journey that takes place. We have to get out of the civilization of our sin. We have to walk into the desert wilderness place so we can be intimate, we can be taught, we can be healed so that we are then released into the cleansing and refreshing and the fullness of life that he has for us. I, I wonder whether Christ might want to come right now and begin to redefine for you your wilderness. Some of you are in a wilderness time right now and, and you've been beating yourself up. You've been finding it hard, but maybe it's because you've been thinking about this time in the wrong way. Maybe it might be a shift for you in your spirit today to begin to actually celebrate the very thing that God's got you in. doesn't mean it's going to suddenly be easy but a shift in your heart towards what the desert is a gift to you, the fruitfulness that God wants to bring to you out of the season that you're in in your life right now. And that fruitfulness comes, and I love this, in verse 10. Let me read this to us. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This is John standing before Israel and telling them what's about to happen next. He's like, God will do anything, absolutely anything, to, to, to be able to uh, fight back the enemy where the enemy would try to keep people from him. You, you see, what he's saying here is he's saying anything that will come against the good fruit, anything that stands in the way of what I want to do through my intimacy and my instruction with my word and my healing of the people, anything that's going to stand in the way. Well, guess what? The ax is at the root of that tree. 
and I will cut down anything that will stand in the good fruit that this wilderness experience wants to bring. And as I was preparing this message, I felt that in my spirit for some of you watching here today. I felt like there's some things going on in your lives and there's some things that are happening and and you know that there is obstructions between you and God. And I want you to know that no weapon that has been formed against you will ever prosper. I want you to know that nothing that the enemy can do to hold you back from that healing and from that restoration, from the teaching of his word, for what he wants to do, nothing is going to hold you back permanently from the good fruit that God desires to bring. See, the axe is at the root of the tree and the strategies and the things that the enemy has. And anything that will hold that good fruit back, God wants to change. See, this is the work, the act, the work of the wilderness. It is actually to bring us into that place where God will do everything, that anything that would ever stop us receiving that intimacy and that teaching and that healing will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Isn't that an encouragement? I mean, for some of you who think that this wilderness journey right now is the worst thing that could ever happen to you, actually God sees it as the place of your greatest transformation. That in Him and through Him, He might begin to shift and change you. I think there are many things that we actually end up carrying around with us, that end up weighing us down, that God doesn't want us to have. And you saw this in the video, and I wanted to remind us of this again today. You know, I think there are some things that the enemy places upon us, that the enemy wants us to carry so that we feel weighed down in the process of our lives. Things like, the deep hurts that we have in our lives, the hurts that come to us, maybe from the words of people around us who have tried to define us in a certain way that's different to how God would define us, just like in Hagar's experience. Or maybe it might be the abandonment we feel at times, the the abandonment we feel when we haven't heard words of love and affirmation from those that are closest to us in life. Or maybe in this season, it's the depression and the anxiety, those dual things that seem to come against us in the moments of our wilderness experiences, in the moments of the desert where we struggle with our depression and anxiety, and that stresses us and brings those additional stresses of life upon us. Uh, Perhaps it's actually in the place of wound, those wounds that come upon us because of our broken relationships in our lives, maybe with our loved ones, like we were talking about earlier, or those problems in our families that just seem to weigh us down, or, or perhaps finally it might be the idea of our habitual sin, that sin that we can't seem to change, or, or the sin that we can't seem to shake from us, that, that just seems to be placed upon us and places this weight and this burden on us. And here's the reality, we walk into our wilderness carrying all of this stuff, all of the things that the enemy would place upon us to hold us back and to weigh us down and to tell us that this is what defines us rather than the liberation and the presence and the intimacy and the teaching and the healing of the Word of God. But the problem we find is it's hard for us to pick up anything else when we're so burdened by the stuff that the enemy has given us. You know, Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, he says it quite profoundly. He says, if you want to follow me, If you want to come after me, here's what you are to pick up. You're not to pick up those wounds and the hurts. You're not to pick up the things that that, that you, you think bad about yourself. You're not going to pick up that abandonment. Here's the thing to pick up. Pick up your cross. Pick up the very symbol 
of what the ultimate experience of the wilderness is. For us, the cross is often celebrated by the cup and by the bread, isn't it? These two symbols of that communion experience given to us because of the cross of Christ. And if the cross is anything, it's God's ultimate wilderness journey. It's the time where Jesus goes to the cross and he goes into that place of separation from his Father. He goes into that place of abject loneliness, of being naked and unashamed, stripped down, whipped and beaten. The cross, this great symbol of death, is transformed in the wilderness to become this place of great life through the teaching and through that that healing and through that intimacy that's found on the cross in the resurrection. We now find ourselves in a place where we get to pick up our cross rather than the things that we've found gathered around us in the journey in life. But how do we pick up what Christ has afforded for us in his death and resurrection? Well, it can only come when we realize that the wilderness of the cross provides for us the newness of our life. And because of the forgiveness of sin, we are able to lay down the things that the enemy had placed on us and to pick up the new symbols of our life, the bread of the body of Christ that was broken so that we would know the wholeness and the renewal of him, the blood that was shed so that we would experience forgiveness of sin. The wilderness of the cross becomes for us a journey into our wilderness, a journey into the place where we are stripped naked ourselves, where we realize that there is nothing that we have to offer, where we realize that we are not worthy, where we realize that all of those sticks that we're carrying do hold us back. And yet in the invitation of the cross of Jesus, we come to a new place where we get to lay our crowns down and we get to receive from him the things that he paid a great price for, the things that truly set us free. The invitation to communion is the invitation to us moving into that place of the river of life. And as you are thinking about your wilderness experience today, let me challenge you with this. Let me challenge you to redefine your wilderness. Let me challenge you to have this expectation that in the dryness right now, you can expect the intimacy of God like you've never experienced before. Let me encourage you that it's actually in the place of wilderness where God wants to speak to you, where his voice wants to come and begin to shape you and teach you and show you his ways. May you have a change in your perspective this season of Advent where you begin to say, no, I'm going to ask for my healing. I'm going to ask for my restoration as I receive that intimacy, as I listen to his voice. I can expect the transformation of myself. May you know that in your redefined wilderness, you will find what Israel found in that moment. A reorientation of life. Just like I said in the film, us, humanity, fully alive. So may I welcome you to the communion table today. And if you've prepared communion, this is the time just to gather that around you. If you haven't, you have about 30 seconds to rush off to your kitchen or wherever it is to grab something that you can use for communion. It could be some grape juice. It could be some water. It could be maybe some fruit or a piece of bread if you have it at home. Whatever works for you, 
maybe just gather up now that communion uh, thing and we're going to share in this together. You know, they gathered in that upper room right there at the end of that final week of Jesus's life. And Jesus, having uh, prepared himself for the coming wilderness of the cross, takes the bread in that moment that would have been shared in the normal Passover feast. And he takes that Passover uh, celebration and brings it onto himself. And in taking the bread, he rips it open, symbolizing, of course, the coming tearing apart of his body on that cross. And as he rips it open, he takes it, he breaks it, he blesses it, and then he shares it with those that are around him. And in sharing it, he says, this is my body broken for you. And Paul uh, later would pick up on that to his church in Corinth. And he says, this is what we get to do as we celebrate the release into the fullness of what God has for us in our lives. We take the bread that has been prepared. And so let me invite you now to hold that bread in your hands and let me pray for us for the bread. Father, we thank you for this symbol of your life that has been broken for us. We thank you that this life has been uh, prepared for us. That whatever wilderness experience we might be in right now, we know that there is fruitfulness in this place. That we know that there is this redefining of our expectations as we now come to you. That your body broken on the wilderness of the cross invites us now to intimacy in you. And as we take the bread, we do so knowing that your life forms and shapes for us the fullness of life that we are now welcomed into. And so we take this bread in Jesus' name. Let us eat this together now. And as we take the bread, we now come to the cup. And the cup is this great symbol, of course, of the shed bloody, uh, shed blood of Jesus for us. And it's a blood that's shed for the forgiveness of our sin. And we know that as Israel was called into the wilderness by John the Baptist, it was with this message of repentance. And we walk into that wilderness of the cross knowing that it is also our place of repentance, our place to bring our biggest worries and our stresses, the war that I was speaking about earlier, those logs that we so easily carry around with us. It's time for us to bring them before God and to feel Him release us from them. So I want you just to take a moment, maybe just a few seconds right now, as you hold the cup in your hand, just to bring yourself before Him in repentance. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And is it wounds for you? Are there hurt for you? Is it things that you're carrying around that, that is abandonment? Maybe you haven't heard the words from your loved ones that you are hoping to hear. Maybe there's disappointment in yourself. Maybe there's habitual sin that's at work. Whatever it might be, take a moment now to lay down those sticks before Him. To, to visualize yourself unloading that heavy weight before the cross today. I'm just going to give you a few seconds to do that in the quietness of your moment. Father, we thank you for this time where the desert reminds us of the barrenness of what sin does to us and yet the hope that there is in the meeting of you in that place where you redefined identity for Israel and identity for all of the people that you encountered in the desert place. So as we come to the cross in communion, you redefine our identity from sinners to those that have been forgiven, from those that have been at war to those that are now at peace. And we celebrate this through the shedding of your blood. 
And we take communion now in that spirit, in Jesus' name. Would we share together in the cup? We're grateful that we get to do that in celebration and in release. And now as we do so, we're going to enter into a moment of worship as we come before God and and celebrate the reality. And wherever it is that you are here at the end of 2020, no matter what's been going on in your life, no matter how hard it's felt in that wilderness place, know that Christ is bringing His intimacy, His Word to you, and His healing to set you free. Why don't we join together in this moment of worship?